0: Hi, and welcome to Elevate Potential. I'm so glad that you're here. This is a podcast that is designed to help you escape patterns, embrace passion, and elevate potential. My name is Elizabeth Perry, and as a lifelong student of psychology, personal development, and human potential, as well as a transpersonal life and leadership coach, I will be your guide as together we learn from others who are on this journey. Let's dive in.
1: We're talking about escapism at It's me, you know, trying to get away from the realities of the purpose that I had set out for myself to live.
0: In this episode, I talk with Jason Ray, founder and CEO of Zenith Wealth Partners, about the shift that a person goes through when going from employee to leader, from employee to CEO, as well as how he overcame patterns of spiraling, overworking, stressing and escapism and learned to embrace vulnerability, authenticity, and most importantly, his purpose. I can't talk more about how amazing this episode is. And so let's get into it. All right. Welcome. Thank you for being here today. I am so excited to introduce Jason Ray, who is the founder and CEO of Zenith Wealth Partners. I met Jason at the beginning of the pandemic when we both signed up to do this Yale happiness class with a group of like-minded people. And since then, Jason has become a client of mine and a friend, and he started to work to unlock his next level in life. Over the past year, Jason has grown just so much, and and I'm excited to host him today so that he can share his story with you. So welcome, Jason. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks so much, Elizabeth. I'm excited to be here. This is a great show that I enjoy, and I'm excited to share my story. So thank you.
0: Yeah, of course. I would love for you to just give a little bit of background for people listening today. Like, how did you get where you are today? I think a lot of people see CEOs and founders of companies and they think, oh, they just woke up like that. Like one day they just woke up and they were a CEO. But what has been your journey to get to where you are today?
1: That's a great question. It's been quite the journey and it hasn't been an easy one. And, you know, I feel that for a lot of things that have come naturally for me in my life, like athletics or education or just learning in general, general themes of curiosity and hard work have driven my experience as a leader and as a CEO. But the transition from, you know, me working in my own business or working at other business to becoming a leader and you know just a motivator of other people has been really difficult and it's been a period of introspection you mentioned the the happiness course that we took at Yale which was truly transformative not just in the fact that we were introduced which was excellent uh, and a blessing but in also the the course's content it really prompted me to think about the things that you know created positive emotions in my life and start out on this journey of self-respection, self-introspection, or really just becoming more in tune with my self-awareness and like my own emotions, I think. It's maybe a better way to put it. And yeah, it's it's been quite the journey. It's been difficult, I guess, if you will. And, you know, coming on this show to talk about this in itself is not easy, right? I think we were both smiling earlier about, you know, we tried to film this previously and it just wasn't up to par and authentic, right? Because it's hard to share some of the difficulties that, you know, I faced in becoming a leader and a CEO of a business. And so I'm excited to dive into it a little bit deeper during this episode and during the show to the to the main point is that it's not it's not been
0: easy. One of the things that is always my favorite part of talking with you is how you relate your emotional journey to your physical journey. And so I just want to give people some background around your journey towards becoming a college athlete and some of the mindsets that you developed then that you still want to keep and some of the mindsets that you developed then that you're working on rewiring because I think that that the way that you make those ties between your physical health and your emotional health I think that that is such a great analogy for other men to start using in order to think about their mental health, almost like a mental workout. So I'd love for you to just give everyone a little bit of a background on your experience as a college athlete, some of the mindsets that you had then and how you appreciate some of those and some of the ones that you're working to rewire.
1: That's a great question. Look, we're getting, we're getting to the thick of it early, which I appreciate. And, you know, I think growing up and not just being an athlete, right. Being a student, it was really instilled for me early, not just from parents, but from peers from other people's parents from teachers that like competitive drive and being tough and thick skinned is the way to really progress and thrive in an athletic and an academic environment and when you talk about just kind of the the ways that I approached these periods it was there was always a finite end right and you know I think about my athletic journey in high school and in college and it was me working on specific skills, but there was always some kind of end in mind, right? Like there was playoffs, then in college, we won the Ivy League championship at Princeton. I was a linebacker and I was able to perfect my craft at the time I was a senior. I was very proficient, but it was over after that, right? Like I was working towards something that, that was going to end and I could see it. And the competitive spirit and the, and the way that I sprinted through these experiences was something that I could take a break with afterwards right after the season was over after my career was over and I think in life today there's still some value in in that mindset right and kind of the sprint for example I'm studying for my charter financial analyst designation I'm on, I'm on level 3 so the last level and I take it in May and really a function of me passing the exam is going to be how well I sprint over the last month before the exam to study but afterwards I can I can finish so those those qualities of being able to sprint and being able to really put myself to to the fire to accomplish something is is something that I so appreciate from my athletic experience however it's it's also that same learning and that same trait that causes me a lot of stress and anxiety and sometimes gets me to a point of overworking where i have difficulty functioning in what my environment is today, which is really an infinite journey, right? I started a business to deliver wealth advice and investment advice to individuals, families, and and businesses. And it's there is no end, right? I I think I'm going to do this for the long term. And I see the effects of how I've sprinted in this journey, whether it be with you know, I don't know, certain tasks or certain overhauls of what we're doing. And I find myself so burnt out that I'm looking to escape from reality, right? And that leads down a whole nother path, but I, the the sprint mentality, I don't think is so applicable. And it's something that I'm trying to unlearn as a business owner, business leader. We talked about before the, the tortoise and the hare example, right? A long-term, slow and steady approach to what I'm doing today will be most effective and getting out of the mindset of, I I wouldn't call it maybe instant gratification, but having to accomplish things in a short amount of time with maybe limited resources and having to learn quickly isn't always an asset in in my kind of business owner journey versus as an athlete. It was the asset, right? It's what got me into the prep high school that I went to, right? It's what got me into Princeton and and able to compete with some of the smartest and and some of the most athletic. So it's been difficult to unlearn, but it's been critical as well. And I think it is, I'm not there yet, right? I still have periods of, we just had quarter end here and in the business and we're sending out statements and delivering, you know, just communication to people. And it's kind of made me have to sprint in this period, but it, it caused me to After that spring, it caused me to escape and go through kind of a spiraling period of not so positive activity. So unlearning that has been has been a journey. It's been difficult. Yeah, I appreciate that question. And I think it it will be a continual journey.
0: Yeah. And I think that's so important to keep in mind is that no matter where we are in life, like we're never finished. Like we're all a work in progress. And I think so often it's easy for those of us who haven't yet founded our business or haven't yet stepped into that executive position to look at those people who have and think, oh, well, they must have it all together. And so it's refreshing for me to hear like, you know, I'm still working on this. I think what this really leans into is one of the other things that you've been working on, which is shifting from an employee mindset to a CEO mindset. And I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit about how you have seen that surface in your life.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think that stepping into my role as a leader from an employee mindset and really embracing the leadership and the CEO mindset is it's it's about a number of things, right? It's about abundance and faith and and really finding my purpose, right? And I'll start with the last one there. And that was something that was very apparent in our, our Yale School of Happiness course was kind of figuring out what drives you, right? And the things that you're passionate about and really developing a purpose statement, even if it wasn't perfect, trying to understand why I was doing what I was doing. In my case, I'm I'm extremely, I was a politics major in in college. I I wrote my senior thesis on gang violence and kind of the correlation between organic neighborhood gang violence and school suspension policy. And it's it's caused me to really have a, a passion for injustice that exists in society. And while I wrote about it within schools, when I was in college, my career post college has been in financial services and i've i've found the injustice that exists in in wealth right and people of color young people's ability to generate wealth and me defining the purpose of trying to address racial and age based wealth injustice has not only allowed me to move from kind of a task based employee mindset to a more solutions-based CEO mindset where I can think on a high level about ways to address the purpose that I've set out for myself. And in that process, which is interesting, and I never thought or I didn't anticipate this happening, but I found out new things about myself, right? And an example is I started listening to jazz music. I started listening to like 70s and 80s like funk and like R&B. Primarily been like a hip hop, the most, the newest music was my favorite. But in this period of introspection and figuring out my purpose, I found more peace in in different types of music. And there's a couple of other examples that I could give around this, but it's really created space in my life once I've identified the purpose that I had to be able to explore new things. And it hasn't been easy to to the point earlier about just having the shift and getting out of the sprint mentality. But it has been really freeing and eye-opening to see, wow, like when I do embrace this this new space in my life and I do embrace this abundance and kind of purpose-driven framework, I'm learning so much more about not just myself, but about the world, the people that I interact with. My relationships are different. They progress differently, right? With with different people. And I'm, I'm able to be more vulnerable with people as well. And I think that's really a benefit for me. And it's helped me grow a lot in this period. And I, I've read books about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates talking about going from them being founders in their garages to being a huge corporation and some of the struggles that come with that. And I think the biggest one that comes with this shift in mindset is is giving up control. As an employee and as the only employee of the business when I started, and and even when I worked at prior employers, FS Investments, and Lincoln Financial Group, I I could really control the work that I worked on. I I did it well, and it was task-based, right? So I had certain tasks that needed to be done. And today, I don't control every task in my business. I used to when I started it. but now. Giving up the control to team members and other people, consultants, interested parties, even sometimes clients, has been a really difficult process. But focusing on abundance and purpose has, has gotten me through it. But that's not to say I have it figured out, right? It's been very eye-opening in myself to see it's it's sometimes it's it's very emotional. So it's been a hard transition and I'm still going through it, right? There's still times when I dive into the details and I crank out the tasks that an employee should do. And maybe I can't give up control But acknowledging that. And to your point earlier about consistent improvement and constantly getting better, we've talked about pruning in the garden every day it is where I feel like as long as I can acknowledge it and accept it and be vulnerable with myself, that I'm going to have for these periods of trying to take too much control and what to do in those moments has been really been, been really helpful in the process
0: it's so awesome to hear you be at this point because i think back to when we first met and i mean yes like you were still jason right like full of energy full of confidence but when we had kicked off our first conversation we had kicked it off around the topic of escapism i, I know that you've mentioned that already and so I'd love for you to paint a picture for everyone just kind of like the journey that it's been for you to get to this point where you are purpose driven like you are you do you are working on an abundance mindset you are working on becoming more vulnerable but I was wondering if you could paint a little bit of a picture about where were you at at the beginning of 2020 and what, what were some of the aha moments that got your gears to start shifting in another direction? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I think at the beginning of of twenty twenty, it's really the beginning of the pandemic, right? It's when we started the course, we started on this on this journey of introspection as a group, and then us individually as in a coach relationship, which I've appreciated and enjoyed. It, it was really a, a period of understanding the patterns of escapism that I was going through, right? And when we're talking about escapism, it it's me you know, trying to get away from the realities of the purpose that I had set out for myself to live. And there's a number of reasons why I would engage in activities of trying to escape from reality, whether it be feeling overwhelmed and too much work, feeling stress, unable to connect with other people and in, in a meaningful way. Really being honest with myself and other people about what was going on emotionally, I think is the biggest aspect. And the first step in getting over that was just acknowledging that it was going on, right? Because before the period of introspection, everything was normal, right? I'm still this thick-skinned, competitive, confident, overly confident, probably, Person who was achieving a lot, right? And we've talked. About, look back at my life, all the blessings. I have nothing to complain about, and that's still a thought that I carry today. But I carry it with more sensitivity in the fact that sometimes I'm going to show up differently than others. And when I do, and when I feel that I have stress, or when I feel that I'm unable to connect with others, or I'm just not being genuine, like the first time we tried to film this episode, acknowledging that period of trying to escape, right? Is, is important and the escapism comes in a number of forms, whether it be binging on Netflix, right? Or drinking, watching golf or playing golf. Sometimes even I feel as a time when I try to just get away from it all. And sometimes that's healthy, but other times I'm, I'm avoiding reality. And that isn't in line with the purpose that I set out for myself and the purpose that I think that God set out for me, frankly. Um, that I've acknowledged and and, and really accepted. So acknowledging is is the first step. The second step is knowing what to do when I try to escape. And that's the hard part. Today, when I do go through those periods, I can acknowledge them, but getting out of those escapism habits is is still tough. It only compounds the stress and what's on my mind, but it allows me to escape a little bit, but always ends up being more confident Powder, the snowball is bigger than it than it was when it started. And I think today, as we look at the beginning of 2020 versus today, I've gotten to a point where I'm able to address and and call out those emotions and those voices of escapism. And calling them out flat-footed, we watched a TED talk about the saboteurs that affect us on a daily basis. And I can identify and call those out a lot more than I could at the beginning of 2020, which has allowed me to live more alongside, you know, the purpose that I've laid out for myself.
0: Yes, so many great nuggets in that. I think One of the points that you make so like saliently is when you talk about escapism, escapism, it isn't always bad. It's, it's just when it's taken to an extreme. And so that first step of recognizing it in some ways, it's the most, it's the most important and the crucial step because you can recognize, okay, I'm engaging in escapism. You can decide, okay, well, I'm going to let myself do this today but I'm not going to let it compound tomorrow. And I think that really is the difference is having the awareness around it. (laughs) Let's talk about some healthy ways that you've found to kind of get yourself out of this mindset of overworking and spiraling and and getting yourself back to being present and being mindful and being intentional and driven by your purpose.
1: Absolutely. Well, to that point, I, I had a really strong experience growing up my grandfather and I used to play like checkers, Chinese checkers. And I used to lose a lot. He was he was very sharp. And one of the periods that we started playing checkers, he was like, I was studying this move and like trying to get an edge. And he's like, Jason, you study long, you study wrong. And that comment, was it hit so deep, not just because my grandmother repeated it from the kitchen when she was listening to us play, but because it really represented a pattern of overworking and overanalyzing and overstressing over certain activities and actions. And as as I think about overcoming some of these periods of escapism or embracing the escapism that may be positive for me, the, the core tenet of that is not studying too long about it and not overthinking it. And the things that give me space, like a meditation, like playing golf, and maybe not so much golf, but going to the driving range for me, which is a little bit shorter time, exercising in ways that I like are all periods of good escapism for me, where I can have a small taste of introspection and say, wow, this is really on my mind, or I'm really thinking about this a lot, or this is coming down the pike that I should be focused on, and just taking a deep breath to say, it's okay, and I shouldn't overthink this, and I shouldn't overstress it, and the decision will become clear if I don't think about it too hard, and I don't study long, and end up studying wrong. And I think embracing those periods of escapism has been freeing and has allowed me to move away from the more destructive paths of escapism, which are substance abuse, drinking, Netflix binge-watching. Not to say I can't watch Netflix shows because I do, but the 12 hours that I spend watching Ozarks when I should be studying may not be the most beneficial. Instead, now I meditate for 20 or 25 minutes, and that's what I did right before the show to just get myself in the right state of mind and shed some of the emotions that I had from today to be able to give myself a clear thought and to not overthink some of the the statements that we're going to talk about or what I have coming up after this, this episode. So you bring up a good point. I, I don't think that escapism is always bad. And I think living by the words of wisdom that my grandfather shared with me, um, I don't even remember how long ago that was, but 20 years probably has been really a good guidepost for me to say, don't overthink it. Don't, don't study too hard and don't study wrong. And I think I encourage people to find what that, what that balance is, right? What that word of wisdom is and let it be a guide to those periods where they feel like you want to go binge in that activity that is only compounding the things that are stressing you and overworking you. And yeah, the words of wisdom have been big for me. To answer the question.
0: And it has been a journey for you embracing meditation and some of these other aspects of self-care i love that you distinguished between like healthy escapism and unhealthy escapism because to me the way that i have described this for myself and my journey is like spending time alone versus spending time with myself when i'm meditating or when i'm praying or when i'm playing guitar or getting creative i feel like i'm actually spending time with myself like cultivating a relationship with myself like learning about myself and instead when I spend time alone like binge watching Netflix or allowing my mind to be mindless by engaging in like substances or just simply overstressing can be a form of escapism for me because like I start spiraling and then I'm no longer there it's like I'm actually alone so healthy verbs escapism versus unhealthy overthinking and binge watching Netflix or substance abuse. I love that you make that distinction because I think so often escapism is seen as the bad guy when it can actually have some, there are some healthy forms of escaping and some healthy forms of allowing your mind to just take a rest. Another thing that you had mentioned was your sabotagers and like those voices in your mind that lead you down the path of spiraling and overworking. And so I wanted to see if you'd be willing to just share, like what are some of the things that those voices tell you and how have you learned to interact with those voices?
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I think we, we joked about this, identifying and calling out the saboteurs is, is step number one, right? It's just like your periods of wanting to escape. So when you hear those voices, I think when, when we got started on this journey, those voices were in the driver's seat. When I when I heard my saboteur say, You should be stressed about this, or hmm, don't be vulnerable with this person, or you're not in control, so you need to get in control. I would listen to them. And I think the first step is, is saying, like, wow, that's my saboteur trying to ruin the party here. And like put them back in the passenger seat because I'm in the driver's seat. And a really good example of this is I went through the car buying process, which, just as an aside, going to a dealership and purchasing a vehicle is really just a stressful. It's a, it's not a great process, right? I should have used CarMax. I don't know if you've had the same experience, but anyway, I was waiting for my car financing and dealership package, and it, it was taking like a, a days more than I thought, and I needed the car to go on a road trip and just do some other things, and. I, it was bothering me so much. And I, I wanted to just lash out. And I did actually lash out at my lender who was giving me the auto loan the dealer. Even my parents weren't safe from my rage in this period. And when I took a step back and just thought about what was going on and not after the fact, but right before, I realized like, right, telling me that I should be strong and I should be upset about this and that there were other people to blame. And I I really accepted the fact that my saboteur was talking and I needed to kind of rein this and and put them in the passenger seat and, and regain control of my emotions and allow myself to just roll with the punches. I think it's a good example to show that I can't be in control of everything except my own emotions and my saboteurs, but things that are externally affecting me, I can't always dictate and the car was one example, but that—that that is such a, a, a transition to business life, right? And we talked about going from founder, employee to CEO, and a big part of that is giving up control. And it all goes back to being vulnerable enough to accept that I can't control everything, that other things are going to dictate themselves. And sometimes I just need to fit into the equation. And adapt and be flexible and approachable and connect with people and tell people and share my emotions with others in these periods instead of lashing out and being upset. And I think that those experiences help. I'm never going to get away from these saboteurs. They're always going to be with me. And I think that's what makes it special. Like that's, that's what makes me, me, right? But accepting that they will be there and allowing myself to move forward and accept the reality that I'm living in whether it be my business partner taking more control of our marketing or the auto lender working on their own timeline to assess my credit and give me a give me a loan. All those things are fair. Those things are going to happen in life at many more stages of life. And being able to accept that and move forward and grow and really call those saboteurs out is really, really important. And it's something that had to grapple with. Still, again, to this kind of theme of not being perfect, but on the way and pruning is something to be proud of that I've gone through in this journey and that I'm really excited about moving forward in my, not just career as a CEO and business leader, but as a husband and as a son, um, as, a, as a friend. I, I think a, a lot of friends and family I've, I've become more vulnerable with and it was really hard to do that. I've had this Facade, if you will, of being this overconfident. It's been, it's been so much part of my brand almost to say that, Oh, Jason's so sure of himself. Not the case. I've been not faking, but I've been really putting on a a show almost in that regard for a long time and being able to accept that and move away from that has been really freeing and has given me a lot of space.
0: Why do you think, um, what do you think were some of the driving factors that made it so hard to be vulnerable?
1: I think a big reason that it was hard to be vulnerable was not just because I I, I had this brand. I think that was a big part of it. It's a way that I held myself out to coaches, teachers, mentors, family, friends, but it was my lack of ability to give myself self-care, I think was was the biggest part. The fact that I wasn't taking care of myself and I wasn't giving myself the space to address the things that were stressing me and making me study for too long were the, re- were the same reasons that I could not be vulnerable with other people. Because I felt that I didn't have a, a place to lean back on to give myself the kind of internal medicine and the positive escapism activities to really heal from being vulnerable because it's not easy. And as you look at, especially with family and friends, I I think I've I've gone my life, especially with family, with being this overachiever that's trying to change the world. And that may very well happen, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. And the pressure that I was putting myself under didn't come with any step backs to say, hey, Jason, you need to prune and think about some of the stresses that you're dealing with. And because of that, it made it really difficult to share some of these stresses and some of these emotions with others. It was hard to verbalize. Frankly, I didn't even feel like I needed to be vulnerable. It was all bottled up and saying like, you're fine, you're good, you're thick-skinned, you're confident, you're able-bodied, you have all these blessings. You have no reason to be vulnerable with anybody. It's almost like you're complaining about your perfect situation. But that's just not the case, and I think grappling with that and coming to terms with that has been something that has not just been a learning experience for me, but also my friends and family. At some level, they also had an expectation and a and a view of me that was was that I was confident and I was unfazed. And being vulnerable with them is, I think, surprise at first, and and it could be that. They also needed a transition with the way that I was approaching my vulnerability and my self-care and the way that I verbalize and express my emotions to them. And that, you know, I've been blessed to have tremendous family and friends and mentors and colleagues throughout my entire life. And becoming more vulnerable with with those people has only been more of a blessing. And it's only shown me how terrific and excellent. Those people are in my life that I've been lucky enough to be placed around. And I think it's also inspired them to be more vulnerable with me. It kind of goes back to being a leader, but expressing that and being close to those people, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I know I'm rambling about this topic, but it's, it's something that being vulnerable with others, it's hard and it's something I'm passionate about.
0: I think that's really impactful and a journey that a lot of leaders go through of discovering, hey, there's actually a lot of power in being vulnerable and people don't expect me to be perfect. You share about the pressure that you put on yourself to be perfect, to be a superhuman. And I wonder where that pressure comes from.
1: Yeah. And it's, it it comes from the blessings and the privilege that I think I've Internalized that I've had in my journey and just kind of some of the injustices that exist. And George Floyd was a great point of introspection, I think, this summer that coincided with this period of being at home and and, and really starting to understand what matters to myself. And the pressure to achieve and outperform and just be great, frankly, was so apparent in my ability to be athletic, right? And and navigate in a world that may not be necessarily set up for black people in general, but with the tools and the mentors and the gifts and the blessings that I've been given, I have been able to, and because of that, I should be performing at a high level and the pressure to achieve and to obtain and to acquire, it just feels so great. And it's hard to ignore when it's hard to give myself a pass. And it's like a Saturday morning when I sleep in, I wake up, what am I doing? I have things to do. Like I have people to help. I have things to learn. I've got, you know, I've got to achieve and I've got this pressure on myself to get better and just be the best that I can be. And that pressure, a healthy amount of that to the point about sprints in the beginning has, has really made me who I am. And, I hope the amount of that has brought forward a lot of the blessings that I've received. But at the same time, it's compounded into a sense of pressure and a sense of need to achieve and to be this great perspective and influence on the surface that it's caused a lot of these feelings of loneliness and inability to have self compassion with myself and inability to get away from stress and also just have trouble with my own identity and and being able to share that with, with other people. So I still put this pressure on myself and acknowledging that to the point earlier is the first step, but it's hard, it's hard. And yeah.
0: What I think is so powerful is even in that moment, you mentioned all of the tools you mentioned, it's hard for me to be vulnerable. It's hard for me to have self-compassion. A year from now, would you have even known to think to go to those tools, to be striving for self-compassion, to be striving for vulnerability? And
1: Absolutely not.
0: Yeah. And so that just, even that in and of itself, the fact that you are working to overcome some of these patterns of overworking and stress and spiraling and stressing and escapism and the solution like that, that is, that's leaves and bounds. You mentioned loneliness, and I think that that's something that's so hard to like admit and something that I've felt many times. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about like your experience with loneliness and how you have worked to even just address that in your
1: life. Yeah, that's, that's a tough question. And there's been so many periods looking back on my life and just recollecting on a lot of the experiences I've had the feeling of loneliness has been so apparent because of maybe the pressure that I put on myself or the things that I'm able to achieve and the things that I see broadly versus what happens in my own life don't always match. And the experiences that I see broadly with people and what I see in my life and experience also don't match. And it's hard for me to think that I'm unique or that I'm going to have my own individual experience and it causes these feelings of loneliness. And it's gotten bad. I mean, I've had suicidal thoughts and I've I've had to cope with that kind of stuff. And what's it's something that is going to be present with me. And I oftentimes struggled. I think going back to your question about vulnerability with expressing these kind of emotions with the people around me because I think I internalized that they were feeling like I did have all these blessings or I, I did have all these things that were going, well, wow, I couldn't share these emotions and these feelings of stress and that and that caused a lot of loneliness. And it's it still does to that. So yeah, I mean that's that's not an area of my of my journey that's been really figured out. And I oftentimes go for long walks by myself and almost invite that feeling of loneliness. So I, I know how to cope with it and I know what to think about and I know the tools to use or the people to call to talk about it when I do have those feelings. But they're going to be present. And I I that's such a big theme of this conversation tonight is. These stresses, these feelings of loneliness, these these extreme feelings that sometimes I feel are just going to be a part of my journey and not letting them get in the driver's seat. these These are the saboteurs, not allowing those feelings to get in the driver's seat and acknowledging that they're there and in the car with me has been the biggest tool that I've been able to use to combat the feelings and to put them in their place so that I can live the purpose and the life that I'm set out to live. And talk about a business where we're serving individuals and families and organizations that are focused on justice and a better world. And we're preaching things about wealth and a a future that looks better than the present. The feelings of loneliness, I think almost contribute to that because I think they allow me to see what it's like without having support, without having advice, without having people in your corner. And it, it almost having that feeling in the car with me allows me to maybe connect with clients, right? And connect with interested parties in our business on a, on a different level. I think acknowledging those saboteurs around is the key to really deep relationships and, and success not monetarily or scale-wise in this business but really with trust and personal connection and it's been so freeing to acknowledge that and and learn that and actually experience those feelings and emotions when developing relationships with clients and in my with my wife who's now pregnant and we're expecting and hopefully with our future child with my parents I can't even I won't even get into the change and the the elevation of my relationship with my family as a result of this period it's been truly freeing so it's been difficult but yeah
0: I did not even expect you to go there Jason and I am just so happy that you did because that is the level of embracing the full spectrum of your emotions and learning to feel them and learning to seeing the beauty in loneliness. And you depicted that so well. What I also noticed is that it's almost as if it makes it easier to have these emotions in the car, to have like these sabotage in the car, a when you're in the driver's seat and B when you're driving towards your vision. Because you mentioned, I, I, I watched you say to light up. I, I watched you light up and then also have this realization about loneliness when you started talking about your purpose. And so I wonder just for those people out there who are still looking for their passion and still looking for their purpose, how did you find yours and what is that unlocked for you in your life?
1: Yeah, I, I think the the Yale, the school, of, look, I recommend the School of Happiness course to a lot of people. I think it's the most taken course, like online course ever. So it's it's popular. So go find it and it helps you define the things that are important to you and also get with a coach and have some space where you can talk about the things that are important. Because I think my purpose was always clear and the yearning to want to help others make smart decisions has always been so Im- imperative and like front and center of my life. I think about, um, like in, in college, I, I, I really went to college thinking that I was going to the NFL. Like I was convinced we talked about the overconfidence a little bit earlier. I was convinced I was like, wow, well, I'm a great athlete. I'm going to go to the NFL. And in college is a place where I realized, okay, I'm not the best athlete, but I can focus on the film study in the the, the more academic part of the game to help myself get an edge. And in, in that process, this really started in high school as well with film study. It, it inspired me to start to try to teach my teammates and help people understand the impact of their decision making on the field. And my my yearning to want to help people make those optimal decisions in the field was, was I was passionate about it. I used to, you know, we used to get people in in the film room early right, to talk about this stuff. And now it's it's the same, right? We're trying to help people make smart financial decisions and helping people to understand their options and kind of know what they don't know, or maybe are unclear about has been a, a journey that I've been progressing toward really through athletics for my career. But it wasn't clear to me that that was really the purpose that I was set out to live until I took the time to sit back and Think about the life lessons that I got from study long and study wrong and learning to embrace loving work and loving the things I do instead of treating them as work. It it, it became an opportunity to work with clients to help them make better decisions, just like it was an opportunity to improve the decision making of my teammates instead of, man, I have to wake up at 6 a.m. and go to film study or dang, I'm overloaded with all of these financial plans, and I can't get to that. Embracing the feeling that it was that I loved doing what I was doing as more of a passion and a game than work was the clear delineation and step to finding out what my purpose was. And it allowed me to start doing the things in business that i loved doing in my entire athletic career just in a different lane and it's it took some help to define this my friend chris clement was in our happiness group and He came to one session and he he read out this like three sentence. I don't know if you remember this, but he like read out this sentence of like his purpose. He was like, guys, I want to share my purpose statement. Like, here it is. And I was like, what is he doing? And then I talked to him after. He's like, yeah, like I just thought about the things that I love doing. I took a step back and thought about the things that brought me passion. They brought me excitement. I was like, yeah, that's good, Chris. I'm going to try to do that. And the next session I did, I came and I had a purpose statement. It wasn't, it wasn't perfect. And then we had a couple of sessions to talk you know on the coaching front and like we really dialed in on what that purpose actually was and it became a, a love it became a love habit i don't work anymore i should say that i'm retired at this point because i'm literally doing the things that i love to do
0: i love that i'm, I'm retired i actually don't work anymore i just i just love life that's that's my that's my job <laughs> what would you say your purpose statement is
1: you're putting me on the spot with that one i think maybe that's the beauty of. Uh, a coaching relationship and focusing on this is that my purpose statement has evolved. I think when we were in the beginning of our sessions, my purpose statement was really to help people make smart financial decisions. And it's gotten more simpler than that, right? It's to be at the center of great decision-making. And I think a lot of my purpose in that statement is driven by my acceptance of, the gifts that I've been given and the privilege that I've had to acknowledge the injustices that exist in society. And I can see in my purpose statement, how that purpose can make a difference in society. If I can help and inspire smart decision-making and optimal decision-making, it will change society, right? Because of where we are, because of the injustices and the blockages that exist in Creating wealth in communities of color and in young people. So the purpose statement itself, though, can be applied to so many other. It's not just delivering financial advice. That's one stool of it. We want to address this at a high level, and this could be the future of my career, right? Or the things that I do. But there's so many different elements to making smart decisions and and building wealth, right? It's it's not just advice. I think advice is where I got a lot of my experience early on in my career and how I learned how to maybe make a difference in this in this purpose statement. But as I learned that that could be things like economic development efforts, right? Or that could be things like public policy work. That could be things like writing position papers that are spread widely to the masses that are generating new ideas. So there's so many different ways that I can address that that purpose, but identifying that statement of Being at the center of optimal decision making is really what drives me. That's what wakes me up. That gives me a lot of confidence. It takes away those feelings of loneliness because other people have similar purposes that I see in my everyday. Then it allows me to be vulnerable with people because I'm not hiding anything. I'm not trying to be somebody that I'm not. I've identified really what it is that I'm here to do. And it gives me the motivation that I need to. Be the person that I'm truly meant to be.
0: That's amazing, and so good to hear. Know that everyone is wondering, who's listening. How can they get involved in the mission that you have, and even become a client of yours in order to help support your mission of creating wealth equality? What what is the best way for people to find you and for people to connect with you, uh, both as Jason and and also with your business, Zenith Wealth Partners?
1: Yeah, well, I welcome the opportunity to connect with people that are looking for their purpose and and trying to make better decisions. My firm, Zenith Wealth Partners, is an advisory and planning firm that inspires smart and and impactful financial decisions with our clients. Our website is zenithwealth.partners. You can find us there and schedule some time. My email is jason at networthzenith Dot com. Feel free to email me. I'm on LinkedIn, just as Jason Ray. That's where I do a lot of posts and probably where I'm going to post this episode. And we're across social media as a business at, at networthzenith.com, or sorry, at networthzenith. You can find us at those channels, but I welcome, um, again, the opportunity to talk to people about their purpose, right? I think when people are talking about wealth, that's oftentimes the most valuable commodity in people's lives and in their future decision-making and it drives a lot of the things that they're able to do related to their purpose. So when we talk about money in our business, we're talking about people's purpose and their goals and their objectives. And I want to have those conversations with as many people as possible. And I think our firm, my partner, Chelsea, our team of interns do a great job in inspiring those conversations. It's not just me. Our team, frankly, will likely serve people better than I will. Than inspiring the journey and the ability to deliver effective advice is not just on me, right? It's it's a firm effort. And I welcome people to come into the firm. We're going to need future team members. Well,
0: shameless plug for Jason. Um, Jason's my financial advisor. And the first conversation that we had, he asked me, what is your vision for your future? And at the at that time, I was just getting comfortable with my dream of being an entrepreneur. And Jason was like, all right, well, when do we need to get this done by? What is your motivation for doing this? And then we started talking about my financial health. And I'll never forget these little moments that I've had to pick up the phone and call Jason. like I want wanted to take my family on vacation and I was really nervous because it was a big purchase and I'm a first generation college grad and I am the first in my family to be in a corporate environment, first in my family to be in tech. And so I don't have a lot of people to go to for financial decisions, especially people who like are at my same income bracket at my age. And it's uncomfortable to talk about money with friends or with family. And so having a trusted advisor that I can call up and be like, Hey, like I'm, I want to make this financial decision, but I'm not sure. And I'm not, I'm not confident in it. And having somebody give me the confidence in that and also like reiterate mindset work to me, like reiterate about an abundance mindset was so beneficial and honestly has given me more confidence in my financial decisions. And so, yeah, I just want to give like a shameless plug for Jason because he really is incredible. So purpose driven. And thank you for sharing your story today. I, we, it's funny, you've brought up a couple of times that like we tried to record this last week and just seeing even your transformation from the, when we tried to record last week and it was like you're your own PR firm. <laughs> like
1: I was in politician mode that day. It was, yeah, it was.
0: Yeah. And, um, today just the amount of vulnerability and authenticity that you showed up with just demonstrates your growth. And it has been amazing to watch you grow as a, as a human and, and as a client. And I'm excited to see where you go next. I mean, if you can grow this much in one year, I'm just excited to see where you are at the end of 2021.
1: Well, you'll be a part of the journey. Look, I appreciate our relationship coach-client. You've given me a lot of the freedoms that you just talked about on your wealth advisory side and our relationship there. So I so appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity to be on this show to talk about my story. So thank you, Elizabeth. And I look forward to listening to this episode, but also the future guests that you have. Um, I look forward to learning and continuing to get better on my own journey.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Any links or books or resources or Yale happiness classes mentioned in the show will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for showing up for your growth and until next time.